Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist. Uh, a lot of people have been, uh, have been asking what happened to the show with Dave Smith, so that's been rescheduled twice. That's happening the day after tomorrow if you're watching this live, so that's Thursday night. I'll be having him back on. Uh, we had scheduling conflicts the first time, and then the second time we had Wi-Fi issues at the hotel I was in. So that is coming, don't worry. Um, also, I just went on Liberty Lockdown with Ryan Dawson and Eric Jackman to do a four horseman episode crossover. So make sure you go check that out on Clint's show. Uh, and then on top of that, if you're new here, please subscribe to the channel. Also, I'm on Odyssey, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Gab Getter float all those crazy places. So go follow me there. Anyways, tonight I'm doing an interesting show. I've got a guy named David Brady, who a lot of you might have heard of. Uh, he's got a great show. He's had Ryan Dawson, Spike Cohen, uh, Scott Horton, lots of interesting people on his show. And he's a super smart dude. So I just figured I'd bring him on here so he could do a little self-promotion, talk about his show <laughs> and whatever comes up. So David, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing just wonderful. I wrapped up an interview not long before this for my Sunday show. I'll get into that later, though. Uh, but I'm doing wonderful today. Not a lot going on in my life. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, man. Um, you are one of the people that seems to catch just about every single show I do. I mean, I always see your name showing up in the comments, so I appreciate that. But uh, I like I like your style. You're a young guy. Uh, you're 17 years old, but you're way into this libertarian stuff and you're also into the important stuff you really care about foreign policy and fiscal policy and you're not just pontificating about how you're you know a, a social liberal but a fiscal conservative and we all just got to get along or whatever like you're actually talking about the real issues that matter you obviously know your stuff so how did this come about why are you so into this has this been a thing for a while or is it something you recently discovered what what's the deal so, you know, I could really delve like really back to the beginning when I started paying attention to politics, but I'm not going to do that because even I get confused about like where I came from at some point. Um, like I really came from like I saw Michael Malice on Tim Pool's show and Tim Pool, you know, he, he's he got his issues, but he, he, he opened my eyes to a lot and about like how the media lies about a lot of things. And Michael Malice, he went on there and he talked about how the media lied to get us into World War One, And that really caught my attention. And then I saw that the media ended up having lied about Trump being like, you know, a Russian asset. And so I really hated the media. I would think that's a really good place to start. So I hated the media and that I kind of delved into that. And I was like, I, I was like supporting Trump because, you know, I'm a simple kid. And I was like, follow along. Trump seems anti-establishment. I, I, I don't feel like defending him on a lot of stuff. You know, I'm thinking like, oh, I hate defending him on like a lot of his like uh, on like foreign policy and stuff. But otherwise, you know. I was just, I was kind of hopped on the Trump train and then eventually, so my dad's like a paleocon, you know, Pat Buchananite, you know, which makes him better than 99% of conservatives. Sure. But he, he watched Dave Smith a bit, like, you know, like he watched him in the background because Dave's, he didn't totally agree with Dave Smith, but he watched like Legion of Skanks. So he watched part of the problem as well. And so I'm, I'm sitting down doing my homework and Dave Smith's talking about this stuff. And I'm like, damn, this Dave Smith guy is right about everything. Holy crap. And so I'm listening to Dave Smith and slowly it's making me more of a libertarian. And I'm like, I don't listen to Dave Smith all the time, but then I start seeing that Michael Malice goes on a show with him. And I really like Michael Malice at this time. 
And that kind of gets me listening to Dave Smith. And from there, I learn about Scott Horton. And I kind of just go down the rabbit hole and I really delved into things. And, you know, I started reading a lot, doing my show, writing a bit, you know, delving into the libertarian world. That's kind of how I got to where I am. Yeah. So, you know, I was never a leftist growing up just because I worked from an early age. So I never got into the socialist half of things. But I, you know, mistakenly at the time thought that, well, I mean, it wasn't really a mistake. It, my perception of what the Republican Party was, was just off. But if my perception of the Republican Party had been correct at the time, I think that that still lines up with the right actually being more rebellious than the left. Like to me, the left was always the conformity side, even though they were always cast as the countercultural kind of rebellious people. When I really looked into it, it was like, well, wait, the Democrats are wanting to pass this law that we all have to take this class to get our CDLs, or we need all these new safety regulations, or we need this new thing pushed on us. And so I thought, you know, no, the Republicans are the ones who are actually, you know, want us to be allowed to have guns and don't want the government taxing us to death or whatever. And then eventually I found out that wasn't even really what the Republicans were about, but it was what they were supposed to be about. So, you know, as a young guy, uh, do you, is that trend of rebellion dying amongst young people or is, are they just misled still or what's going on there? Because it seems like the young generation uh, is just all about, you know, I'm going to, you know, I, I'm not going to go to this school anymore because they're not requiring me to wear a mask. And this guy has a controversial opinion and I'm going to protest him being allowed to speak at this school. Like all this cancel culture and this, this desire for conformity just seems to go against everything. When I was in high school a decade ago, like that, a decade or, you know, that was when I was a senior, but 12 years ago, whatever, when I was, you know, a sophomore and junior, senior, like it was all about kind of rebelling against your parents and that doesn't really seem to be the case anymore am i wrong or what's going on there in your opinion so if i were to really like pick apart where the rebellious side of teenagers kind of left like it's still there you know once you reach like your upper teenage years you want to rebel against your parents get away from them that thing still kind of exists but it seems like people have kind of notice that every teenager goes through like you know a phase where they feel like really depressed and they feel like really like lost with the world trying to figure out what it is that they're doing with their lives and so they've kind of inserted that like oh everyone goes through that phase but you must be having a ment you must have a mental illness of some sort right and so they've kind of decided to throw in like we're gonna coddle you and we're gonna protect you and that mm -hmm. that is like a that is a thing of virtue you're beautiful because you have a mental illness not because <laughs> it's a not because it's a phase but because you have a mental illness and they've kind of like just jumped on that and from there it kind of like inherently leads you towards like the left right now because they are willing to coddle you and they'll try they're like we will keep you safe we'll protect you we'll make sure that you can be who you want to be which is I guess kind of channeling that rebellious, you know, do what you want sort of vibes that used to be dominant. Uh, but now it seems like the Republicans have kind of become the face, uh, the Republicans or maybe like just the right wing have become the face of, you know, take responsibility for yourself and, you know, for your own actions. 
And that kind of lends itself to like the more rebellious thing because, you know, you could take your own actions. Like, right. I don't know how this switch really came to be, but I feel like it has something to do with like, we're going to make sure that you can be coddled and you can feel safe at, at some point. And they kind of switch to that. Mm -hmm. So do you see any sort of realignment taking place going forward with young people? Do you think they're waking up at all to the fact that the left is just about conformity and is just about making you a loser instead of like really branching out and becoming something. Do you think that some people are waking up to that? Cause I remember after the 2016 election, I saw a lot of that, a lot of people. So in 2016, let's see, I was what, uh, 22, 23, 22, 23. So, um, I saw a lot of people my age who had been Bernie supporters. And then after the 2016 election, something switched with a lot of them. And they got way into like Steven Crowder and Ben Shapiro and uh, um, what's his name? The the Jordan last Peterson? liberal. No. Uh, well, yeah, him too. But uh, his, I'm blanking on his name. Um the dude who was the last liberal and then became a conservative. Um, Dave Rubin? Dave Rubin, yep. Uh, so they were listening to all those guys. And I thought that was an interesting realignment that took place because that happened with a lot of people I knew. And I saw it becoming a trend. A lot of people who had been pro-Bernie and then saw what he did for Hillary in 2016 kind of snapped them out of that and caused them to realized that the left was lying and then they were kind of buying into the lies of the pseudo right wing or whatever you want to call it saying like oh these are the guys about actually taking responsibility for yourself but at least the rhetoric from like ben shapiro and stephen crowder and a lot of these guys is a little bit more you know about self-responsibility and stuff so th that was an interesting trend that i saw do you see anything like that happening now has the craziness of the last two years snapped a bunch of people your age out of that bullshit phase or do you think that it's just going to keep continuing the way it's been going so like we we can talk about like the the past two years for sure like i definitely think that's a radicalizing thing but if you want to touch on like after 2016 i think there is definitely something to like you know this intellectual uh dark web sort of thing that people kind of delved into because you know the mainstream media they became anti-Trump probably because he was somewhat anti-establishment. He seemed like he seemed like a rejection of everything that they believed in. And so the media, they went hard. They went harder than they needed to against Donald Trump. And so people, you know, you don't want to 100 percent agree with Donald Trump. So you go to these like mildly conservative figures, you know, like Ben Shapiro, who disagree with him on some stuff. And they seem more well-mannered and more self self-responsible. And that's kind of like I think where that kind of shift came from. And thus people didn't want to agree with the mainstream media who are acting like total lunatics for absolutely no reason. Like, you could have just let the guy speak. He would have screwed himself over in the end. But they had to throw a total fit like children. Yeah. And so people kind of went to this pseudo right wing because they seemed like the voice of reason. They were like, oh, yeah, these people are total lunatics because the American left didn't want to say that the mainstream media were lunatics. And so they decided we're going to latch on to these guys who are like, oh, yeah, we don't agree with Trump on everything. But the media are total nuts and they're willing to point out and tell the truth at least sometimes. But for the, like the past two years, like amongst my peers, I see so many people. They've become so upset and so angry at the system because the system just screwed them over. They're doing nothing to help us. 
Like if there's one thing that radicalized me against the school system, like I used to be someone who somewhat enjoyed being there, you know, learning all this stuff. It's radicalized me against the school system. I think a lot of people because they saw that they were abandoned by the system. And so they've kind of become, you know, against the state, against the government here in that the government screwed them over and they didn't help them. How, whether or not they're going to go like to the left to be like, oh, the school needs to do more or whether they're going to go to the right and they're going to be like, we completely reject what you've been saying that, that we have to see, but I definitely see that there's like a mass rejection of like what is considered, you know, the moderates, like the normality of the system. Yeah. It seems like a lot of people are not converted through reason it's just whoever is the least cringe at the moment in comparison to the ultimate cringe, they'll be like, okay, I want to hear more about what that person has to say. So someone can like Bernie and then end up liking Trump and then end up liking Tulsi and then end up liking Dave Smith or something. Yeah. Even though those are all completely different, you know, uh, philosophies there, but it's just, oh, this guy sounds sane. So I'm going to listen to them. It's not necessarily analyzing what they say on the issues and figuring out whether or not it makes sense. It's mostly tone. Um, that <clears throat> that seems to be what initially convinces most people. Would you agree with that or any thoughts on that? No, I mean, I totally agree because you definitely had this weird paradigm where the American left and the corporate press were just acting like total lunatics. Like, really, Donald Trump would have sabotaged himself if they hadn't freaked out about it. Yeah. He would have listened because, like, you know, I like to say that in the Biden versus Trump debates, the best strategy was just to let the other person talk. <laughs> yes. 100%. And, and it's just Trump seemed to be the least loony of the, of the two on the paradigm. And definitely you see these people delve into like the intellectual dark web sort of thing, you know, Ben Shapiro, because they were like against the people who were acting like total lunatics in favor of like, but still being somewhat critical of Trump, you know, you know, not perfectly, but it kind of, you saw like the neoconservative elements and like Ben Shapiro kind of seep in there. I don't know, but it's like whoever is like the least m that much of a lunatic. Like you see, I'm right now, I'm seeing this total mass rejection of what is woke because nobody finds it cool to be woke anymore. Um, and it's just, I don't know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think here, but the, Nobody, it's not cool to be woke because all these woke people are essentially like the evangelical Christians of the, of the 1990s, you know, yeah. uh, telling you have to listen to us. You have to obey and comply, comply or die in this system. And so you're, you're essentially seeing that people are mass rejecting it in very much the same way that like the left used to be rebellious against these nineties evangelical yeah. Christians. Yep. And now the evangelical Christians are being cool because they're a little bit mellowed out nowadays in compared to uh the complete lunacy that is the american left yeah i mean it, it it's reminded me of the way the people that i was familiar with from my upbringing would act if you started questioning anything you know it was heresy to question the bible and now it's heresy to question the woke like you are oh, excommunicated yeah. from a church <clears throat> and you are you know you're not allowed to debate you know, based on reason, it's just based mm -hmm. on pure emotion and fanaticism. It's just like, so yeah, I mean, I 100% agree with you there. So what was your, um, do you have like a red pilling moment that kind of started switching you? I know you started listening to Michael Malice, but was there something before that, that 
kind of made you start think, uh, you know, changing the way you thought. So I've been becoming a libertarian for like almost eight years now, but even halfway through my libertarian shift, I still wasn't really red pilled. I think the first thing I really remember was when Trump went and talked with Kim Jong-un and like two weeks before that, there was all this fear mongering that we were going to go into nuclear war, which I thought was ridiculous. I was like, There's, we're not going to go into nuclear war with North Korea. This is just stupid. It's not going to happen. But then like two weeks later, suddenly Trump is over there talking to Kim. And I was like, this is great. Like, I don't know how this happened even. I don't even get it. Like, this is incredible that he's over there and they're talking and they're going to try to establish some sort of peace deal or whatever. I thought that was the most amazing outcome possible. But then the way the media just demonized him afterward as though he was a traitor and he was a dictator worshiper or whatever. I was just like, whoa, wait a second. And that kind of primed me to start realizing the media wasn't just stupid or didn't just have a different opinion. They were actually they were nefarious, like they had bad intentions and they were purposefully pushing an evil narrative. But did you have a moment like that? Was there some political moment that made you start realizing that or what exactly was it? So I would say there's kind of like two in there that the first one was like, it was a bit of Dave Smith talking about things like it, it was a bit like there's one after January 6, which I'll get into. And then there was like him talking to I think it was Magnus Panvidia, and they were talking about the woke, all the woke people. And like how it didn't really become a thing until after Occupy Wall Street. And that really made it click in my mind that, hey, a lot of this stuff is just controlled opposition. All of this strife is just stupid and pointless. And then you see January 6th happen, which a little bit radicalized me in a way that it Trump, it showed me that Trump didn't care about these people. He didn't care about them at all. He didn't stick. He didn't decide to stick out his neck and help out these, these poor in, individuals who like, they were angry people who thought that they, the election had been stolen. And so they went and walked into the Capitol building. I'm not going to call it an insurrection because that's, it was far from it, mm -hmm. but like, Trump didn't help those people. And that kind of red pilled me to like the Republican party. Isn't going to help you people. You saw, I saw like the Republicans, they also just like left Trump out to dry in the end there. And it just radicalized me. Like the Republican party, isn't going to do anything to help you. And then you, I listened to Jay Smith talk about January 16th. He's like these people, they need to realize what it is that they're dealing with. They're dealing with the arm of the state and they've walked into the temple and flipped over the tables kind of like Jesus did. But this time they're not the son of God and they're not going to have any protections at all. They're going to have the full blunt of the blunt arm of the government hit at them. And that really radicalized me and kind of made me into like a libertarian proper. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's always interesting to me that so many people who I think sometimes do have good intentions are just blinded by the woke stuff. Like I've got relatives and friends who in principle, they would agree with me on war, like bombing innocent people and like some criminal justice immigration stuff they would agree with me but they're so blinded by wokeness that that trumps everything else like they can't even see straight so they'll think joe biden is just so much better than trump because that's what they've been told to think where it's been powerful to me when you can find someone uh like tulsi gabbard as a mainstream example who can actually you know who is actually criticizing trump for the evil things he was doing. And she was the only one in 2019 and 2020 who was saying, you know, Trump is responsible for the murder 
of hundreds of thousands of people in Yemen and his illegal bombing of Syria has killed innocent people. He should be impeached for these war crimes. Like she was the only one talking like that. And then once you get deeper to people like, you know, Scott Horton and Dave Smith and Ryan Dawson, people who they'll say, yeah, Trump sucks, but this is why this is the true evil of what he's doing. Um, it's so much more powerful to me when people can do that, especially when it relates to foreign policy. So what what got you into the foreign policy aspect? Like what, um, what was it just listening to Scott Horton that just made you realize how horrible everything was? Or is that something you have cared about for a long time? What specifically in that angle really made you angry and upset and wanted you uh, made you want to just go down that rabbit hole? So I kind of started as like a paleocon again, like for a while I yeah. supported Trump, you know, as a stupid kid, you know, before I knew about like everything Trump was doing that was screwed up. And now I hate the man. Like I legitimately hate the man for like legitimate reasons. Like he was legitimately a traitor for helping Al Qaeda in Yemen and allowed vetoing the war effort after Pete Navarro lobbied with Raytheon to convince him, Hey, American jobs are at risk. So we got to veto yeah. this bill to end support for a war in Yemen. You know, that's yeah, that is the most evil single thing he ever did. Like a lot of, people if you need a single example of something disgusting that trump did you should use that because that is the worst thing he ever did yeah so i was always like i i don't like war because there is like you know this talking point that trump is anti-war he's the first anti-war president we didn't start any new wars at all he's talking to the taliban about getting us out of afghanistan that sort of thing right and so when i really became like a libertarian i was like how do i get good on foreign policy and so i like Go on Twitter and I at Scott Horton because I know he's the guy. And I'm like, where do I start to get to understand foreign policy? And he directs me to this to this YouTube series he did where he broke down like chapters of enough already into like yep. five minute clips. And I'm listening to this and I'm just like, what is going on here? This is absolutely insane. And then I go and I buy his book, you know, enough already, which God, I love this book so much. I start delving into things and reading it. And it, it broke me, man, just about how many lies. Like, I hated war, but I learned just how horrible and horrific it all is. And just, like, all of the voices that I listen to in the liberty movement, like yourself, like Clint, like Dave Smith and Scott Horton and Tom Woods, they're, they're always, like, I find anti-war voices, like, if that's your issue they're the most they're the strongest voices like you don't see that there are the like the niche people in the movement who like their issue is like drug stuff but they're not they're really they're not the strongest voices it's like the anti-war libertarians you know who foreign policy libertarians that with those are the strongest focus those people i always find to be like the strongest voices in the liberty movement so those people that i was listening to they were anti-war and that made me care about foreign policy and really delve into it and now i'm checking antiwar.com not every day but every other day and <laughs> i'm listening to every episode of the scott horton show so that way i understand what's going on in like yemen and russia and ukraine and i don't know just the rabbit holes you can go down and then i guess probably the biggest thing that really made me an anti-war libertarian is his debate with bill crystal you know, Scott's debate with Bill Crystal, that was the most glorious thing I've ever listened to in my life. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you you would think that young people, and by young, I don't even mean just your age, but like my age too, like people in their in in the draft spectrum, you know, like where you could get drafted into war. Oh, yeah. You'd think that they would care more about this than they do. And then especially if you look at films, you know, like Hollywood 
in its, uh, you know, in a lot of its most famous films, you don't come away with it thinking like, wow, war is awesome. Like the message of a lot of the films that have come out is like, you know, big empires are bad. The underdog mm -hmm. is the good guy. I mean, that's a typical storyline. Um, it, it's just interesting to me that there is like this kind of libertarian undertone to a lot of really famous American films, yet Hollywood is so liberal. And then all the, the younger people who are more into these films, they end up being so liberal. And, and by liberal, I mean like shit Libby, you know, they don't really care about anything except using the proper pronouns or whatever and they don't care about any of this stuff do you find that strange too that young people don't care about this you know i just think that there a lot of the times the young people are just really removed from this stuff and that the like it's it's this very like primal thinking that the democrats and like the liberals they say we're gonna make things better by giving you things right and so they agree with that and that's why they kind of go down like you know the cliche democrat become a liberal type uh, but I definitely think that there is, like, a very libertarian, like, undertone to the way we talk about, like, war in America nowadays and that we, like, look in these films. Like, I just watched Saving Private Ryan, like, a week ago for the first time, and, like, that is a gruesome film. Yeah. That is showing you that war isn't, like, you know, like Call of Duty where the good guys come in and kick down the doors and they right. they do all the business and nobody gets hurt on the good guys. Like, no. Good people get hurt for no reason. And we do terrible things abroad, even if we are like pretty much the good guys, like fighting the Nazis, that sort of thing. Like Saver Private Ryan is a very good example of that. But I think there is like a very like anti-war undertone to the way we discuss things because you see this mass repudiation of like George Bush and Barack Obama and all the foreign policy blunders they've made. Like you see, does anybody talk about Hillary Clinton and foreign policy in a good light? No. I don't, I don't think any, I've heard anyone say a good thing about Hillary Clinton in foreign policy. I don't think I've heard a single good thing about George W. Bush and how he treated foreign policy. Um, like, I think it's a, there's like a lot of time I'll run into people and they'll be like, we a hundred percent agree that we shouldn't have been in Afghanistan in the first place, that the Iraq war was a mistake. There's definitely like an anti-war undertone. It's just that when the war drums get beating, everyone's like, I got to stay with my country. You know, I got to believe what we're yeah. saying because we're the good guys, right? We're the good guys. Yeah. It's, it's funny. You, you put me to shame, uh, you know, being interested in this stuff about and having the right information at your age, because when I was your age, I wasn't nearly as invested as you are. I didn't have a show or anything like that, but I was very uh, opinionated, uh, just, you know, with the completely wrong opinions. I was still basically a neocon. Uh, my senior year, Ron Paul, uh, his election caught my attention and uh, I liked him. You know, I liked uh, what he was saying, but it was mostly just because I could tell he was genuine. I wasn't necessarily listening to his message that much and realizing how wrong I was about everything. It was just like, wow, this guy gets up there and just says whatever he wants and people cheer. I, I like that. And I remember I was telling my, cause I was 17 when the primaries happened in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. uh, it was February of uh, 2012. So I wasn't, my birthday's in May. So I wasn't old enough to vote, but I was telling my friends, yeah, vote for that Ron Paul guy. He seems legit, but it wasn't until like, almost two years later after the election, after I had voted for Romney and everything in the general election that I started kind of revisiting everything. And was like, man, this guy was, this guy was right about a lot of this stuff. Um, and 
you know, I don't know. There, it's just um, when you have someone who is obviously earnest and sincere mm-hmm. in what they're saying, I think that really excites younger people a lot. I mean, I think Bernie had a good facade for acting like he was genuine and like he was a real person and actually cared about what he was saying. And I think that's why so many young people liked him. And that was why a lot of young people also liked Ron Paul. And then a good amount of young people liked Trump too, you know, for the same basic idea. Do you think that's true that young people just like someone exciting who seems genuine where older people have maybe accepted reality in a sense not really they haven't really accepted reality but that's what they think they've done and been like well you know everyone sucks so i'm just gonna go with whoever has the best chance to win or whatever do you think they're what what do you think causes young people to gravitate toward people like bernie and ron paul so if you're like look at bernie like the entire time of 2016 that primary season with bernie his entire spiel was like you know reject the clintons choose like the actual progressive path you know uh, his supposed truth to power. And that's like the entire thing. If you're telling the truth and you're giving these facts like that completely rejects who's currently in power, that's a that's something that draws people's attention. And young people, they're not like as set in their ways. And so they're yeah. better able to adapt to these things and understand. Like, I don't think like if I was 30 and I had heard Dave Smith that I would have nearly as believed him as, pos- as much as yeah. I did. That legitimately like what we're looking at here is Ron Paul stepped in and he was willing to call out Rudy Giuliani, you know, the guy who was mayor during nine 11 and tell him that we caused nine 11. That's powerful. And -hmm. there's something really powerful to that sort of thing that draws the attention of the youth. And that's why just standing there and basically giving a big middle finger to the establishment and like all that they've been standing on that's just failed people so miserably. People are going to be drawn to that, especially young people who want change and want a better future for themselves. And that's like kind of why they were drawn to Trump a lot of the time, because Trump was like, all of these elites that we've had, they've completely failed us, right? And so he was kind of offering his own solution. I don't necessarily, I don't agree with his solution anymore, but like he was trying to actually offer a solution other than like, I am, I, I bring the skills, I bring the experience, you know, like Hillary Clinton. Uh, like Hillary Clinton would walk in with this rhetoric of like, I'm, I'm probably, I'm stealing a bit out of Libertas right here, you know, Dave Smith's special, where. Hillary Clinton would be like, my opponent's rhetoric is abhorrent. And Trump would lean forward and go, your husband's a rapist. And he would just (laughs) say this on live stage. And it's like this massive F you to all of the powers that be. And that draws attention from the youth because you know what? There is a rebellious streak in the youth still. And you know what's rebellious? Saying F you to the establishment. Yeah. Uh, I think you're right that, you know, older people are harder to snap out of the way they think. So You know, I was raised very right wing, very Christian, and I was in my early 20s when I left both of those things behind. My dad, even though he was against the Iraq war and he was based on some of that stuff from an early, you know, an early time, accepting that the that America is an evil empire has taken a lot more for him. He is there now. But after growing up, you know, and basically being like 50 by the time or older than 50 by the time, like I really started throwing a lot of this stuff in his direction. That's a lot harder to accept. Like when you've lived your whole life 
believing that you basically live for, you know, you live in a, a decent country that's a representative government that really mostly believes in freedom, but just gets things wrong occasionally in foreign policy. Like, that's really hard to accept. I mean, I've been hanging out with a relative the last couple of days. Um, he uh, he came out here to ride in the truck with me up to Idaho because I'm going to be leaving this job in a few weeks. And he just wanted to get the experience while I was still here. And uh, he's quite a bit older than me. He's like almost 50 years older than me. And I was we were talking foreign policy and what's going on in Russia and what's going on in Israel and uh, Gaza right now, uh, all the way up to Idaho. And I mean, he just had the completely wrong information on almost everything. And it, it's no big deal for me at like 21, 22, whatever to be like, okay, yeah, I just had all of this wrong. Um, but you know, when you're that old, it's, it's just really hard to deprogram yourself, especially when it's built into your belief system that America mm -hmm. is good. You know, it's just easier for us to let it go. Um, there's yeah. no real question there, but whatever you want to say on that. I mean, yeah, like, I don't know. I'm like, I have, I have a really great family. Like I love my family and I think that's rare. And nowadays, nowadays you see so many people my age, like they hate their parents and stuff. But you know what? I love my parents. I love my dad. I love my mom. And I love talking to my mom. Like I'll talk to her about politics and she'll sit there and she'll listen to me talk and she'll be like, okay, David. Okay. And she'll let me go off on these tangents, you know, like libertarians do, but there's definitely something like I'll be telling her these things and she's slowly and slowly becoming more and more like libertarian. I think to it, like so much so that she, she doesn't believe in any political party. She doesn't think anyone who's going to run for office at all has good intentions and that they're, they don't care about you at all. And that she thinks, I, I think she thinks we're screwed, but that's pretty libertarian to think all that, you know? <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah. you know, I, I think there is a chance you can really convince people if you really just tell them what's going on and you explain it and you're persistent, you're consistent about what you do, you'll be able to really convince those people because you know what? You can't deny reality forever unless you're like totally loony. And most people, they want to be, they don't want to be walking around in a contradiction their entire time. Right. So you've also gotten kind of interested in the 9-11 truth side of things and not like the kook movement, but the real stuff. I know you really like listening to Adam Fitzgerald, Ryan Dawson, people like that. What, what, what got you interested in that? What, how did you get introduced to that? And then what made you think, Oh, wow, this is interesting. I want to know more about this. Okay. So I'll start with like the base thing here that, you know, I'm, I'm like a, a Ron Paul libertarian, you know, like a Rothbardian. And I, I know I always knew that 9-11 was the consequences of blowback. Like, I think my parents were very clear about that. Like, we were doing screwed up things abroad, and that's what caused it to happen. My dad actually gave me a book a while back about how we trained the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. And it was a really good book, but, you know, but my dad's always known about that stuff. And, you know, it's it always kind of caught my attention. And so I was more than I was more than open minded to be able to look into these sort of things and to be able to understand that we just let that happen. Like after I became like a red pill libertarian, that became a very easy thing to accept. And so I was able to listen to people like, you know, Adam Fitzgerald, Ryan Dawson talk about these things. Like the very first episode of The Naturalist Capitalist that I ever watched was 
Adam Fitzgerald on your show talking about 9-11. And then I think the then Peter Schiff and then also then the four horsemen with DJ Thermal Detonator and Ryan and Adam and yourself talking about 9-11. And it just like broke my mind there. And I became really interested in it. And it's like, it seems like after reading enough already where I can see the power of like these Israeli lobbies and the Saudi lobbies and all of these foreign influences, like especially the Ukraine lobby nowadays, you can really see that you can, it's easy to accept that the intelligence agencies also have this same collusion. And it allows me to really be open-minded to that sort of thing. I mean, I had Ryan on my show not too long ago, which is pretty fun. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. Uh, you were going to go, you're going to go far places if you've already got him on the show. And like, like I said, guys, you got to check out his YouTube. He's had, uh, let's see, you've had Spike Cohen, Ryan. Uh, you've had uh, Scott Horton, So Bishop. He's, I've been on there. Clint's been on there. I think all the Tower Gang's been on there and mm -hmm. tons of different people. So what? Why, why did you start the show? What was, what was the thing missing? in the Liberty movement that you thought you could bring to the table? What, why, why did you want to, why did you want to join the 80 million podcasters that exist? <laughs> you know, I'm going to really look towards like, ultimately it has to do with, you don't see a lot of young voices. Like you see, there's like the course, there's some college students and stuff who really get into these things, but you're not like reaching out to the youth. And I thought there was definitely room for that. And I feel like a lot of my peers, I thought they could understand this stuff if somebody just explained it to them. So I wanted to bring on guests and break down current events. And I wanted to like explain why I think this way and why they should think the, they should think the same way. So I was like, we got to reach out to the youth and we got to do youth activism. And that's kind of like what, drew, I don't know, that's kind of what drew me to like Dave Smith partially because like there's something about Dave Smith and that he's not like a really old politician, you know, you can listen to him and he like the youth can get on board with what he's saying because he's down to earth and grounded. And I just thought I could offer my podcast as a way to like break down these things and explain it to my fellow youth. And so I started my podcast because you know what? I also wanted to have these conversations and get to know folks like this and get involved in Liberty movement. So that's kind of why I started my show. So what, uh, what interview were you most surprised by how it went or did you learn something from it or were you, uh, did it just turn out differently than you thought it would? What, what What's one that really left an impression on you that you did? So there's, there's quite a few that I could go into. Um, I really liked my episode with Ryan. Of course, Ryan was, was great, but I hear him a lot of the time on uh, the four horsemen and on your show. So it's like a lot of the stuff is stuff that I know already. Um, I would say uh, I talked to, I talked to Nate Atkins. He ran for mayor of Minneapolis. He's great. I love the guy. I went down to help with his campaign in 2021 when he ran for mayor of Minneapolis. That was a great conversation. I've had Angela McArdle on. Uh, that was another great one. I especially love when I got Scott Horton on to break down the state of Yemen. Because I don't know, we were talking about Yemen and then towards the end we were talking about like, are we optimistic for the future? And I got like a really mellowed out Scott. Like he was leaning back in his chair breaking down and talking about this stuff. And I really loved that interview. That was still one of my favorites. Um, I liked my episode with Patrick McFarlane. There's a ton. I've had a ton of great guests on my show. I'd have to say probably my best, the best thing that I've done is really getting my, getting my co-host Sam, like props to Sam for being my co-host. Um, because it, uh, 
I feel like for the first few episodes, I was just like talking to a screen. It was just me, but having someone to bounce these ideas off of and talk to that's productive because it means I'm not talking into an echo chamber, just control confirming my own preconceived notions. I'm talking to someone. And so I thought just onboarding Sam and having him as my co-host was probably the best thing I could do. And that's what I'm most proud of having done. Yeah. Uh, the closest thing I would have to that is uh, Michael Gorecki, who we don't do shows together that often anymore. But when I first started, I couldn't obviously just be like, yo, Dave Smith, you want to come on my podcast? So I had to I had to build something up. So he was the guy that kind of did that with me. He's another truck driving libertarian. So we had a lot in common that we could kind of bounce off each other in the first. Um, I mean, he was in he, he appeared several times in the first 20 episodes I did. And uh, yeah, that's always great to have a friend who's willing to invest in that. So uh, you're not just in the liberty movement, but you're like active in the Libertarian Party. I know you went to the convention in Minnesota, but you're also uh, a member of the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire, even though you don't live there. So <laughs> what are you uh, what are you hoping to get out of the Libertarian Party? I mean, it's cool to see someone actually excited about it at your age, but what, what do you expect it and hope it to turn into in the future? Well, like I said, I'm like a Mises Caucus guy. I follow Dave Smith, I follow Scott Horn, I follow Tom Woods, those guys. It's it's great. And I just, whether or not, I don't think that, I don't expect us to win nationally. Maybe Jeremy Kaufman, I could see him winning in New Hampshire. But otherwise, I don't see us winning nationally. And the Mises Caucus really gave room as like, we're going to focus locally. And mm -hmm. that interests me. Like, turn your state into New Hampshire, essentially. You know, fight for these things at your at your home state and so i got involved in libertarian party because you know the republican party clearly doesn't care about you there's some good republicans but the republican party as a whole does not care about you they don't care if you exist they just want you for taxpayer money and to throw you into endless wars and so the libertarian party because you know it was consistent and we're going to turn it into something great that's what drew me to the libertarian party and so i started reaching out i was like let's get involved in the party i i I started helping out with Nate Atkins and his campaign. That was like my first like real political activism properly. Um, I was running the Minnesota Mises Caucus Twitter for a, for a while, which was pretty fun. And then they onboarded me to running the uh, social media for the for Libertarian Party of Minnesota. So, hey, I've been running that recently. I was the one who got that Elon Musk tweet, got yeah. him to respond to that. I'm pretty proud of that. <laughs> and like, I'm, I'm working on trying to make it like the most, the bait, the, the probably, okay, I can't be New Hampshire, but like the second most based uh, Libertarian Party affiliate page right now. I got tough runnings with competing with Kentucky, but I'm trying my best, man. So I just got involved in Libertarian Party because ultimately I see it as you're, you're going to win locally. You got to change things locally, you know, nullification, that sort of thing. And then you've got to teach people and let people know that there are alternatives. And right now you're seeing libertarians. We have the perfect opportunity. Libertarians are going on all the biggest shows. You see Joe Rogan has Dave Smith on, like, I think every like six months at least. And it's the yeah. biggest platform in the world. You're seeing like Alex Stein, who's libertarian friendly. He's going on all this, all these shows. He's going on your show, for example. Um, you're seeing a lot of just great opportunities going on Tim Pool's show, Adam Krigler, all of these various um, big alternative media. And we have a we have an awesome opportunity. 
And I think we got to seize that. And the Libertarian Party is going to lead in educating people as to why you shouldn't just believe a, a Republican off a of face value or a Democrat promising you free stuff. I think that's the role of the Libertarian Party right now. Local, local changes and educating people nationally. So I got involved with the Libertarian Party just so I could help so I could help and give my services to the liberty movement. Yeah, I mean, that, that was awesome when Elon replied to your tweet there. That was incredible. Uh, what do you think about the birth of fascism and Elon Musk now ruling our free speech with an iron fist by letting everyone say whatever they want? What are your thoughts? You know, I was I was on Twitter this today and two guys at my school were also on Twitter and they go, we're going to tweet the N-word now. And they grabbed my phone and threw it on the ground. They're like, this is Elon country. And they, they started beating me up. <laughs> okay, that didn't actually happen. <laughs> oh, my God, the Jesse Smollett jokes. They'll never end. They'll yeah. never properly end. <laughs> uh, uh, but I don't know. I think, it's a, I, think it's a, I think it'll be a good thing. Like, overall, I think that – I don't think it'll – I don't think we'll have a solution properly until we decentralize everything, you know, like put something on the library blockchain, like Odyssey, where we have something decentralized that can't, that they can't censor you on. I don't think that we're going to have a solution until we manage to do that until we decentralize everything. But I think for a short-term solution, you'll see some good things. You'll probably see like Alex Jones come back. You'll probably see Trump come back. He'll won't come back initially. Like you said, and then a week later, it'll be like your favorite president is back. You know, mm. do the Trump thing. I think we'll see less political censorship on on Twitter, which I think will be a good thing in the short term until we come up with like actual solutions. I don't know. Elon, I'm a little bit more skeptical on the Neuralink thing creeps me yeah. out. I don't know. I'm not I'm not into the metaverse Neuralink, you know, become one with technology thing makes me like afraid of Brave New World or the Matrix, you know, yeah. So I'm not going to jump on board with that. But if Elon wants to help with free speech, by all means, man, just don't do the weird authenticate all human beings forcefully. That's kind of creepy. Yeah, it's this weird thing where we're not able to just credit someone when they do something good and not dis and discredit them when they do something bad. Uh, and, you know, not just have this black and white view of everybody. Like Ron DeSantis is one of those great examples. Like when he uh you know stands up to lockdowns like that's great and then when he bans bds in florida that's bad and but everyone has to have like this 100 percent negative or 100 percent positive view of everybody and that's what you know i feel like as libertarians we're sort of supposed to reject that idea you know like that's kind of what's led us where we are this binary brain thinking everything's red or blue you know, and you start excusing atrocities that either side does, that's not cool. And, you know, I understand you can't be a perfectionist all the time. And sometimes you got to let some, you know, some minor things slide. But in general, I feel like our role right now is to have higher standards to be like, yo, we are here because we've always chosen the lesser of two evils and just let kind of major stuff slip by without making any protest. Uh, do you think that's true or do you think we need to be way more pragmatic or do you think we need to be radical now? What do you think we need to do going forward to get us out of this mess that we've gotten ourselves into? Uh, like the the entirety of the country that we're looking at right now, like the disaster that we're dealing with, this is the result of political moderation. And by presenting ourselves as like the moderates in this situation, 
that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like legitimately, you know, socially, uh, socially liberal, uh, fiscally conservative. That is the, that is not what we run on. We have to be the real radicals. You know, we've got to actually offer solutions and offer the opportunity for change. And I don't know. I think right now, I think we, 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 there are times to be pragmatic and there are times to be radicals. I definitely think we should have a higher standard, but like when it comes to DeSantis, like, I don't know. It's DeSantis. Let him let him be Florida's problem. I don't see the point of people in California complaining over what he does with Disney. I don't think it ultimately matters what he's done with Disney because, you know, either way, Disney's going to be able to survive this with all they've got. If you want to actually make a change against Disney with like a free market solution, don't buy Disney. That sort yeah. of thing. And it's like, you know, if you live by the higher principles and lead by examples instead of demanding that everybody else has to comply with your principles first. You know, you guys have to listen to us first rather than um, we're going to show you how this actually works. You know? Yeah. Now that's a very Kaufmanite way of thinking, which I have pretty much fully adopted, you know, like I'll, I'll give my opinions on what other States are doing, but I think he's right that you got to lead by example and you can't care about what California is doing or Florida is doing. You got to like, you know, make yourself better, make your town better, make your state better, lead by example. And then everyone else will follow. Um, and, you know, this is a very Christian sentiment. Take the log out of your own eye before you remove the speck mm -hmm. from your neighbor's eye. And frankly, a lot of libertarians, they need to start yeah, you know, you need to start proving to people that these ideas are going to work. So if you're, you know, 50 grand in debt and you have a bunch of felonies on your record for aggravated assault or something like that, and you're telling other people that libertarianism is the way to go, you don't really have much of a foundation to stand on. But if you're financially responsible, you're a person who takes care of yourself and takes care of those around you, then you actually have a place to stand and be like this, you know, these principles work. They work in my life. They work in my town so they can work in this country. I think that's the way to go. Yeah, man, I totally agree with you. Like, I am someone who really likes Jordan Peterson. Like, Jordan Peterson, he's got, like, a few things that he's not very good on. But he's he's getting there. He's getting there for sure. But I definitely appreciate the sentiment of clean your own room before you try to clean up the world, you know, yep. that you need to focus on yourself. Like the number one thing you can do for Liberty right now is fix yourself, get into the best possible situation. Don't be going out there and donating thousands of dollars to the libertarian party. If you don't have your own life intact, if right. you don't have the time, like if you're financially unstable and you cannot give out, you, you cannot give your time to the libertarian party. Don't improve your life first. That's what's important. Nobody wants to follow people whose lives are in shambles right now. Like, frankly, do you look at people like, I don't know, I'm going to throw out a name. Do you look at Adam Kokesh right now and think that's very inspiring? Do you look at people, do you look at the hobo on the street who's preaching to you about libertarianism and think that's somebody that I should listen to? The guy who keeps getting thrown in jail. No, that's not what you do. Like, I can understand civil disobedience, that sort of thing. But those are not the people that Americans want to follow. They want to follow people who have their lives in check and who actually provide, you know, a good example of what to do. They're proving like, hey, I have this philosophy and I'm not a terrible person who has my life set on fire around me. I can actually do things and I can give you the time and show that it can work. So 
I don't know, man. I think that we need people, we need role models who actually who actually have their lives intact. Like I think a lot of the loser brigade guys that I think they don't have their lives in check and it's disappointing. And that's why nobody's following them. That's why they're not out recruiting the Mises caucus because you look at Dave Smith, you look at Tom Woods, you look at Scott Horn. Those are people with their lives in check, right? They're actually inspiring because they don't look like homeless people. I don't know. Shots fired. I'll take that personally, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, You're a trucker, man. You're fine. (laughs) Truckers get an exception to the homeless looking. Yeah. Um, yeah, by the way, I just want to point out, I actually wasn't meaning Adam Kokesh because he has had a lot of uh, <laughs> checks on his record, but they're not for aggravated assault, at least as far as I know. But um, and, and just a side note, I can't help but like him more after doing Tower the Tower Gang show oh, that, with him. I, I oh, just man, that like, was hilarious. It was incredible. So uh, there will probably be an Adam Kokesh appearance coming on The Naturalist Capitalist eventually. I'm just really, frankly, not interested to talk with him about his beefs with someone from a Facebook group from four years ago. I just don't really give a crap at all. But anyway, David, where can people follow your show? I've got your Twitter and your YouTube linked in the description. And then you've got, if anyone's watching this video, you can see he's got his Twitter at in his name on the video at real David B Jr. Uh, But where, where can people keep up with you and what interesting, exciting things do you have coming up? I mean, really, Twitter is, like, all that I use. I technically have, like, a gab and a minds, but I don't really go on to those at all. Uh, Twitter's really all I care about. Follow me there, Real David B. Jr. You can follow me. Please, please do. I want to get up there, you know, actually get somewhat of a following at some point. I don't know. I enjoy Twitter way too much. But for my show, you can find it on YouTube. You can find it on Odyssey. I don't know. Sometimes, sometime I'll get get some community strikes and kicked off of YouTube. And... I'll, I'll have Odyssey and I've got a somewhat decent following on Odyssey there, but check out the show there. I have some great interviews. I have interviews with Scott Horton. I've got great ones coming up this summer as well. I've got Ryan Dawson on there. I've got Clint. I've had your, you were like the fourth person that I had on my Sunday special, which is pretty oh, wow. great. There we yeah. go. So you can find my interview of Reed back then when I had the most rookie of setups and I looked like half dead while interviewing Reed. That um, sounds like me, a rookie setup half dead. That sounds like most of my podcasts, by the way. So. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> coming up this Sunday, I guess I have Chase Geyser. I'm sure he's been on on this show, right? He has. Yep. Yeah. So you can catch that Sunday special. Um, I'm At some point, I should be having Alex Stein on the show. I should be having Nick Ricada from Ricada Law coming up sometime. I reached out to him. I've been messaging him on Twitter. Hopefully, he'll get back to me and I'll be able to talk to him. I've got some great interviews coming up this summer, trying to build up some stuff before I go off into the woods. uh, And I can't upload stuff. Uh, This Friday, though, Reed, you're coming on my show again with Eric Jackman for the Friday night for the Friday night news wrap, it should be a fun show. I'll get to hear what like Alex Jones and um, Donald Trump think about Elon. Uh, re- hopefully reinstating them to Twitter, hopefully. Yeah, 100%. Everyone go check out his show. You won't regret it. Uh, as you can see from this interview, the guy knows his stuff. He's on top of things. And he's going to go far. He's only had his show for a few months. And he's already had all these amazing guests. Great conversations. Go follow him on Twitter. Follow him everywhere. David, we'll see you Friday night, me and Eric, on your show. Oh, yeah. Can I mention one last thing? Absolutely. Go ahead. 
Oh yeah, I do a little bit of writing on the side. I try to get some articles published. I've had one published in in the Foundation of Economic Education on their website about New Hampshire because I love New Hampshire. Hoping to become a free stater someday. Um, I've also Very had nice. one published in Being Libertarian about secession, and I got my f- very first article published at the Libertarian Institute about uh, what are, what will you do when the bubble pops, talking about how the Fed has screwed over the economy and how there's really no solution other than a recession right now. So I guess if you want to check that out, I'm trying to submit some more articles to them in the future, Get maybe see about getting, getting myself a little paid gig there. I don't know. I'm kidding. But like, I, I write a bit. Sometimes if you follow me on Twitter, I'll tweet about it. I like I like doing some writing. All right, guys. Yeah, go check that stuff out. Wants to be a free stater for secession and letting people know that a recession is on the way. Good stuff. All right, David, we'll see you Friday. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. You have a wonderful rest of your evening, and I hope everyone else has a wonderful rest of their evening. You too, man.